0: It's a problem of motivation, all right? Now, if I work my ass off and Intech ships a few extra units, I don't see another dime. So where's the motivation? And here's
1: something else, Bob. I have eight different bosses right now. Uh, beg your pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. That's my only real motivation, is not to be hassled. That in the fear of losing my job. But you know, Bob... That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired.
0: Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim.
1: The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life.
0: coach welcome in to episode 43 of essential coaching conversations we are back uh, with another i think what will be a stellar episode for you this is the michael thompson episode michael thompson father of play thompson wore number 43 for the majority of his career um as well as with my san antonio spurs for a little under a year i think and uh yeah man Michael Thompson episode. Who do you have for this episode?
1: Uh, naturally, when you hear 43, you go right to Marion Studani, left winger for the Dallas Stars from Slovakia, six one one ninety, 190. Um, and that's just a little bit of a, a rest in peace to my Dallas Stars season, uh, who came up a little bit short in game six against the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights and so sadly their season is over but that was a great ride they had um it's been a while since I've gotten to watch one of my teams go deep into a playoff run and they were you know game six and seven away from a Stanley Cup berth so um a little a little Stu uh shout out here for the Stu Danny
0: salute that's what we'll yeah. call it the Stu Danny salute that- um, yeah it was a little atypical for a Dallas sports team to get that deep in the playoffs you No. Know?
1: felt like the 90s again man I definitely no it like definitely I was 10 years did. old
0: all over again <laughs> yeah i mean i think the last what was it the last dallas uh the last dallas team to win a championship was the maps right
1: mhm rangers got there they were one strike away twice mm. from a world series um, mm. but
0: heartbreaking enough, to be a dallas sports fan isn't
1: it it's it's not always very easy but it's that's part of the um The grind, I guess they say that, that, that sharpens you, you know, what what have I seen floating around on Twitter? If I see one more of these fall down seven times, stand up eights. So yeah, we as Dallas fans, we've fallen down seven times, but we're trying to, um, maybe we only get up three or four times.
0: (laughs) It's, you know, it's, it's a far cry from when we were growing up in the nineties where both Washington sports, particularly, you know, the former commanders team and the Cowboys were, were just good, and, like, you always expected a good game. And, like, you know, the, the basketball teams were pretty good in the early 2000s, and, you know, now it's just uh, it's death by a thousand cuts, it seems. Yeah, uh, no doubt. For, for both cities, it's, uh, it's brutal. So, in case you couldn't tell, um, you know, I actually, like, I so I'll put it to you, to the listeners this way. One of my favorite podcasts that has nothing to do with sports is called Morbid. And it's a true crime podcast I think It's actually the number one most listened to true crime podcast in the world now. Um, But they do this, you know, they kind of like announce when they're recording in the episode. So they'll be like morbid in the morning or it'll be like late night morbid. And for us, this is literally late night um, Mm -hmm. EC, EC pod essential coaching conversations. I don't have like a, a fancy name, like mid midnight morbid or something like that. But like, it's late at night. We are both, you know, I, I'd I would say stop short of saying loopy, but there's certainly some some tiredness and there's certainly some running on fumes, uh, uh, you know. At least for me, I'm not going to speak for you, but this episode, as you can see from the title, is probably one of the more important episodes that we've we've done, just from the standpoint that I don't think we as coaches and and sort of even as teachers are like. Educators or you know working in the police force, or whatever it is. like this is something that really doesn't get talked about a lot in the business world or like in professions. But managing up is kind of a big deal. And I think we're both in the headspace enough well enough to talk about it because, you know, I've just taken on a new position, so there's all new dynamics to managing up. and now, I am going to be managed up to as well as a, as a head coach again, um, which as an assistant for the last four years, I wasn't. I didn't really like, I didn't supervise anybody. Um, so, I think in a way, for the two of us, this is actually going to be really good practice for us to, to whittle down some of the ideas around managing up and how you do it effectively to where your organization can benefit from how you manage up, but also you're kind of getting reps in how you want to be managed up to when the time comes for you to have somebody manage up um, with you and to also maybe gain some self awareness into what it's like to have to manage you up um, as opposed to always being sort of top down. And I think that's where a lot of coaching, quote unquote, professional development, like that's really what it becomes i don't know about if you how you feel about that kyle but like i think we're always kind of talking about like hey how do you manage your staff hey how do you manage your players or like what are you doing to do this and it's like all right but what if i don't have an opportunity to manage the entire staff but i have to manage my boss who's the head coach how do i do that Um, or how do I, you know, manage up to my AD or my, my associate AD or my sport administrator or my principal, or, you know, any number of things like everybody's got a boss, right? Mm -hmm. Even, even the president of the university has a boss. It's called the board of trustees, right? Or like the, you know, the board of whatever, right? So I think everybody in, in one way or another has to manage up to somebody, and so I'm, I'm glad we sort of had this idea this week to talk about it, because I think it is something that's just so not talked about. And oftentimes we mistake managing up for like information sharing. And those are two very different things. Um, but I'll throw it to you as just from some of your initial thoughts about it. And, uh, and then we can just sort of dive in with maybe some best practices we've come up with. And as always, just see kind of where the conversation goes.
1: Yeah, I think, spoiler alert, uh, this is a human component conversation. Um, And I'm very aptly wearing our recruit everyone every day shirt. And that's exactly what this is. So I'm sure if you go Google managing up, it's going to say something about dealing with a relationship with your boss, right? So you're right. Like everybody talks about in management terms, like who is beneath you and basically like how do you effectively go about telling them what they need to go do in order to make you look good so you can get promoted? Right. But we never think about it going in the reverse. And so, even if you are somebody who is a subordinate and you're thinking about in terms of managing upwards to a person, I like what you said a second ago, where you also likely have somebody below you and thinking about how they might be managing you up or how you would want to be managed up and so it really is a, is more of a 360 kind of view of things and not get so stuck on like just this one way linear piece of it because again everybody does have a boss so even if you are the ad like you still have vice presidents and presidents and board of trustees like you said or whatever so i might be um you know an assistant coach who has sort of in a chain of command, like an associate head coach and a head coach. And then you continue on up the chain of command through the AD and stuff. But you as an assistant coach, you might be in charge of the grad assistant. You might be in charge of the managers. Even if you're a grad assistant, one of your roles might be you're in charge of the managers. So how does a manager manage up to their grad assistant? How does a grad assistant manage up to their assistant coach? And just so on and so forth. And if you start to really think about it, you start to draw all these connections of potential relationships and potential communication pathways to all these people throughout different levels and, you know, various parts in an organization. And I've had a different sort of look into this in the collegiate athletic world versus like the the teacher world where it's like you have student, teacher, principal, you know, basically it's like very kind of linear, right? But collegiate athletics is a lot more corporate system. I, I guess you could kind of say, at least we are. So there are like level, lots of different levels to this from your president, your vice presidents. you have deputy AD, AD, associate ADs, assistant ADs, you have directors, associate directors, assistant directors, you have student workers, you have volunteers. And and it's amazing like how many different people that you have to work with and communicate with on any given day. And that's Interdepartmental, intra-departmental, like it's crazy. So, like me in communications has to have a really great working relationship with our marketing department and external. And then that extends to the ticket office. And then you have your head coaches that you have to sort of manage up with. And then they have players and assistants. And then we have our own student workers in our department. It's just, it can get very complicated and very complex and probably a little overwhelming when you start to zoom out. And Kind of take the thirty thousand foot view of like, okay, where am I at, and where potentially might I have to to go with this? And I think that there is a lot of opportunity uh, and probably missed opportunity to effectively manage up and allow your boss, your uh, whoever's in charge of you, whether you call them boss or not, but for them to see those skills that you have in your way of being a human component expert, if you will, having some self-awareness, having the ability to reflect, basically going through your own rocket process in your ability to recruit everyone every day. And that's where I think this conversation can sort of turn into a bit of a climate over culture conversation. I think it's a way for us to talk about a leadership conversation and that leadership isn't a position. It can be influence from anywhere. And so you have the ability when we say managing up, you have the ability to lead from the bottom, I guess would be a way to say this. You can lead up upwards in the chain of command. Um, And I think there's a really great opportunity no matter where you are. Like you don't have to wait for a certain position to learn these skills or try these things and get better at this stuff. You can literally do them right now. And that's what the climate is all about. And so somebody wants to come in and say like, hey, we want to change the culture. We want to talk about culture. Well, we got to wait until we get to a certain point before we can even talk about culture. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, that point that you're at right now, that's your climate. I right now can affect the climate of the room, the climate of the department, the climate of our day, our task, our our whatever the the meeting, like whatever the whatever we are doing in that moment. I have the ability to do that within that 360 view, and regardless of your position or your experience or anything like that, it's going to come down to. Basically the the sweat equity of the relationships that you've put into that, making that next connection. And you sort of are, are put in a position where you might tell on yourself a little bit and sort of uncover the work that you haven't done within a particular relationship where some of those roadblocks might be dependent on where that relationship might be with, with either a boss or a subordinate, wherever you might be in that that um what am I trying to say here? Flow chart of you know, your organizational chart, the the organizational
0: hierarchy. Yeah.
1: I was drowning there. Thank you for, (laughs) for throwing a lifeline there, but yeah, within your organizational chart, wherever you may fit in, because I sometimes feel like we get a little feedback where it's like, well, you guys talk about these things, but it doesn't apply to me. And it's like, no, it applies to everybody. And again, had a conversation today, somebody in police force, they're a Sergeant, they've got a Lieutenant, they've got a captain dealing with things on like how do you manage up from sergeant to lieutenant this is for everybody so don't think that just because you're not
0: the boss or you might be a boss or whatever that this can't apply to you yeah i mean no doubt i think actually what was interesting and sort of what spurred this topic to top of mind i was thinking about um my smart goals And my previous job, we had to write them every year. And one of the things that I had written, I think it was not this past year, but the year before, was I wanted to, like, they had asked, like, what do you want to get better at? And one of the things that my AD and I had talked about was I wanted to get better at managing up as an assistant. But I also, so I worked, obviously, like, as an assistant for the women's basketball staff. But I also worked directly with my AD doing inclusion and and equity work and diversity work within the department. And so I had multiple people I needed to manage up to. And so one of the things that I had told her and that I had sort of made clear in my my preseason evaluation or like my, my early goal setting worksheet or whatever it was, was that I wanted to get reps in managing up knowing that at some point I was going to be a head coach again. And I wanted to get good at managing up to an AD so I didn't have to figure it out or like remember how to do it after not having been a head coach for say four years or whatever it is, which is which is what it ended up being. right? So I took a four-year hiatus from being a head coach to be a college assistant, which is amazing, amazing, like reps and just experience and all of those things. But you sort of forget how to manage up to an athletic director when you're only managing up to a head coach, right? So I feel fortunate in having the opportunity to have done both, um, Mm -hmm. with varying degrees of success and failure, obviously. But, um, you know, that was sort of what spurred this conversation is just something that, that, I had been thinking about for a little while of how much better I had become at this particular skill. Um, And so I think like the first thing that I have written down as far as what I think is important in managing up, and I think we do this constantly because things move so fast where we are. Kyle, do you have a lot of flyby conversations at work? Oh yeah. So we can't, to me, that's like one of the worst things we can do if we're trying to manage up is a flyby conversation. I literally have written right here, less flybys. Because when we try to do that, what we're doing is creating more quantity of conversation, but the quality of that conversation goes down. And so then when things really have to be done, or we really have to sit down and put our heads together to try to figure something out, we feel like we've had this conversation before, but neither of us can remember what actually was said in that conversation. And so this happened to me a lot, where early in, the, in that tenure in, in the place that I was at, I would have flyby conversations with my head coach, or I'd have flyby conversations with my AD. And then we'd all kind of be sitting there like, wait a minute, we talked about this like a week ago. Where are we on this? Right. And I took that and, and you know, when we talk about leadership and we talk about influence and like, you know, if I want to be the best leader in the room, whether that I have the position or not, I have to make sure that my influence on that room isn't the thing that's causing the confusion. Right. Because we don't want the person that we work for to have to feel like man, that person really just confused the crap out of me because I thought we were doing something else. Right. We want to make that next best decision easier to make, not harder. So when I think about that, it's the, you know, the idea of like less sort of the law and order walk and talk, you know what I mean? Like they have the walk and talks through New York city and all of a sudden the crime is solved. Like, no, that's not how it actually works. Right. But like we just to it, we do it because we don't know when that person's going to be available. So it leads me to the next thing about you know sort of the less is more, and we've done a couple episodes on less is more, but less is more in terms of frequency, not quality. So we don't have to have a million flybys a week to feel like we're managing up or making the next connection. What we're really talking about is those substantive times where we have to have that conversation. We have to send that email. We have to clarify something, or we're asking a question. We can't do it every single day and expect the same level of response or the same level of responsiveness from somebody who's not just managing you, but they're managing an operation and they're doing something else, right? We don't know what else is on that person's plate. So part of managing up is a sort of an empathy thing, but it's also understanding, Mm -hmm. all right, I want to make sure that I'm not giving this person too much information at once but I'm also not giving them too little information at once. And then I have to go back multiple times. So less is more in terms, of the, uh, in terms of the frequency, not the quality of what we're trying to do. So if we can leave every one of those touch points feeling like it was a quality touch point, great. What we don't want is sort of the inane touch point where it's like, oh, hey, I just had a quick question for you. And it's something that you could have looked up. Or that wasn't super pressing right then and there, and you could have combined it with something else. Yeah.
1: And at what point do those things just become noise, right? Like, even in practice, like when you're coaching your team and it's like, if you stop every 30 seconds, like eventually you just get tuned out. And so the quantity part of that can become a little bit of an issue. And we've got, we've talked about this in the past. Like, how do you, how do you assess the connections in your program? And we've got four, basically four tiers in which you can assess connections in your program. And it's quantity, it's quality, it's depth, and then it's authenticity. And I think one of the things that you lose during those sort of flybys is, yeah, you get the the quantity, but the quality, the depth, and the authenticity probably lack in those Mm -hmm. things. Obviously, we want to, as I'm wearing, like we want to recruit everyone every day. We want to make the next connection, but there has to be a goal and a purpose into those things. And making the next connection just for the sake of making it, Maybe that does come in handy from time to time. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that nothing is ever the right moment in that right time, you know, but if that's what we're sort of building on, then that foundation is a house of cards where there is there, if there is no depth and there is no quality to it, then that's only going to take us so far. And I, I, I wrote down as you, right before you said it, I wrote down the word empathy. Like we have to have the open communication, the trust, the authenticity. And so I go back to the human component wheel over and over and over again, because with every connection that we do make, if it is authentic, then we're deepening that. And with every, you know, sort of turn of that wheel, we get a little bit more respect from that person and every little bit of respect builds more trust Mm -hmm. and that trust starts to happen. And now we're starting to build an actual relationship to where even I have the ability to even walk into your office. How many people are terrified to walk into their principal's office to their, their associate head coach's office, or their, if you're a player to a coach's office or a student worker to my office as assistant AD, like everybody has their open door policy, right? But if nobody's walking through your open door, then you don't have an open door policy. And Mm -hmm. to steal one of your famous lines, we want to have an open mind policy, not an open door policy. And I think that's a really great way to assess, are you being managed up? Do you have people coming into your office? And then how do you feel effective in your ability to manage up? Can you walk into your boss's office? And even just sort of that feel, like that's kind of hard to it's one of those things where, like, you know it when you see it, or you kind of have to feel it a little bit. The tension in the room, the vibe is off. Whatever. I think some of these things are you—you you know what we're talking about because you've lived through that. You've had certain people that you work with, or you don't mind walking in and you just plop right down on the couch, and it's like mm-hmm. old friends. And then there are certain times where it's like, man, you cringe every time you walk by because you don't know whether that door is open, whether it's cracked, whether it's shut. And then, and then you get a a, a very good idea of what type of mood that person is in. Hey, doors open. We're good. Doors crack eh. doors shut run away, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Don't even try knocking. Don't don't, even try try knocking. Yeah. And, and, and the, the funny thing is, is like one of my old ADs, he would talk about um, going in and and throwing the principal, a a feeder question kind of walking by and be like, Hey, did you see the Cubs today? You know, watch the Cub game last night. And if it was like, Nope, he was like, all right, bye. Like, (laughs) I'm not asking that question right now, but if it was, Hey, did you watch the Cub game last night? It's like, Oh yeah, they were up, you know, two runs in the seventh and blew it. And, you know, had to come back and win it in the tenth. That was unbelievable. And I was like, okay, well, um, I have a favor to ask. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is happening across campus. Can Yeah. Whatever. You got to feel them out. Right. Understanding like the vibe of the room as our friend yeah. Layton would say. And I think one of the, one of the, one of the things that I've gotten from my wife, in terms of like our relationship and our relationship with our daughter, Kendall, and her relationship at her office as a nurse practitioner and, her, and dealing with patients. But she also has to deal with other providers and managing those relationships, too. And the thing that she talks about a ton, and I've, I've, I have use this phrase a lot uh, with a lot of people, is, is anticipate needs. Mm-hmm. Your ability to walk into a room, take the temperature, get the vibe, whatever you want to call that and anticipate what somebody might need is your attuneness to that environment and understanding there's there's a foundational relationship there so like we know with our head coach like i, I want to have a diet pepsi on deck like every time she gets on or off the bus like it's just what she like boom we're going to take care of that you know understanding that like hey the balls need to be in this certain spot of the gym because this player is going to come in early and they like to get some work in let's make sure that's there Understanding what people are looking for, and it's not to spoil them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is—it's to be able to anticipate what this person might need, and what that shows them is that a you're paying attention, you have some of that reflection, that awareness, some clarity, and the alignment to the situation. But you're putting in some of that sweat equity too in that relationship to know, hey, this is good or this might not be good. And, and anticipating needs doesn't mean just giving them what they want. It might be making sure something is not happening at that particular Mm -hmm. point in time. Cause it's like, if you've, if you've been an assistant coach, you know, sometimes like the way the team is acting, like, Hey, not today, bro. Like head coach will be in here in five minutes. Like the locker room can't be like this or stretch lines can't look like that. Or, Hey, the bus needs to look like that. Like today is not the day. And even if you think back to, maybe this is a little childhood trauma for everybody out there, but like dad walks in the house and it's like, "Mm -mm." Mom Mm -hmm. ain't feeling it today. Like you know, when mom's, you can kind of get away with it. You can push. You can kind of go to the edge of that line. But like there are some days, nope, ain't trying it. And to me, that's basically what this is all boiled down to. But you can't get to that point if you haven't put in the 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 necessary requisite time and sweat equity of the relationship Mm -hmm. to go through that human component. Will over and over and over again. Which sounds like, hey, I need to go make as many connections as possible. But that's not what we're saying. We need to make every necessary connection Mm -hmm. possible and make sure that with as many of those that we can make, that we're getting something out of it. So we're both walking away feeling like that wasn't a waste of time. Mm -hmm. So what this is not is just meeting to meet. Hey, this could have been an email or just checking in for whatever reason, because a lot of times or sometimes I'll say not a lot of times, but there are times the best email is the one you don't send. The best, mm-hmm. hey, what you do in text is the one you don't. See. Sometimes it's just the need that you can anticipate for me right now is to simply leave me the hell alone. Mm-hmm. The last thing I need or want right now is you hitting me with something else. And kind of understanding when it when we're at that threshold and when we can bring that back to me, that's what any sort of management and relationship is. But to your point at the beginning of this episode, I don't think we oftentimes feel like we're doing that in an upward position, but in reality, we're all doing it every Mm -hmm. single day because we're all trying to get the temperature of the office, the classroom, you know, whatever our house, um, you know, wherever you might live or the team that you're on, because you know, like so-and-so is either in a good mood. So-and-so is not in a good mood. Yeah. And maybe that's just the way they are. Like they come in and they're just weekends are tough for your boss for a thousand reasons and Mondays just aren't good. You know, Mondays, am I right? Well, even just understanding that sort of thing and like what you can do to support them and help them in that moment might not make for the best Monday, but that a little bit better Monday might make for a really great Tuesday and Wednesday and build Mm -hmm. some momentum throughout your week to where now, like we're sacrificing sort of one day, but we're actually being super productive the rest of the week because you
0: understand how to manage that relationship. When I hear you talking about that, all I can really think about is how we wish our players would do those things
1: for and us, they would no understand
0: doubt. that stuff, No doubt, you know, and it's like, gosh, you don't need to bring me every single piece of drama. That's like, just figure it out, you know, but then we as adults do the exact same thing to other adults and we're like, and then we just sit there and complain that like the kids don't get it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, well, who's modeling it for them? Right. I'm not saying that there's it's necessarily managing up or, or, you know, whatever, but it is like from the power dynamic aspect, like if the players can learn. Or even students, let's take students as an example, because I think it's a little more relatable because everybody was a student at one point. What's the common knock on students at the end of the quarter or at the end of the semester? They come to you panicked. What can I do to raise my grade? Mm -hmm. Well, if we had been having this conversation once a week throughout the entire semester and we were having a quality conversation about the quality of your work, we wouldn't be scrambling at the end of the semester to make this happen. So similarly, if I'm able to sit there and really reflect and be aware of what's going on and have some clarity of how I want to send this message and some alignment to what we've said our shared goals are in terms of the you know, the boss, subordinate, or however you want to phrase it. like when when I'm trying to manage up to you, it makes chunking that information for you a lot easier on my end because I know exactly what you're looking for. It doesn't mean that you can't You know, plop down on the couch and just shoot the shit for a little while. That happens. Like that's part of connecting. But what we are talking about is, when it comes to the work and the productivity piece how you manage up is a direct reflection on you as a manager that has potential to be a higher level manager whether that's to be a head coach whether that's to be an ad to be a, an administrator a department chair whatever it is and one of the questions that that sort of i i wrote down but it's one of the things that comes to mind with me all the time especially in a new job where I'm still, like, I'm still learning how exactly to do, how to be an administrator. I'll put it that way. Mm. Do I want my supervisor, do I want to leave that person, whether it's in their office, whether it's after a conversation or an email or whatever it is, do I want to leave them feeling like they have to do my job and their job? Right. So if we can assess with the plan of how we're going to go and have some of these conversations or how we are managing up, or even just reflecting on what managing up feels like, even at home. Right. So I have to manage up to my wife. Right. She makes a lot of the decisions in the house. I make a lot of the decisions. It's a co management sort of setup, but like each of us has to have a little bit of that give and take but think about it on the opposite side. If I was always the one who was asking the question and if I was always the one managing up and like at a certain point, she would feel like, dude, just do it on your own for a minute. Like figure it out. Right. It's the same sort of concept, like with a little kid at some point, that little kid has to grow up and make a decision on their own. So in order to be able to do that, can we have the reflectiveness to say, like, if I leave this conversation, are they going to feel like I am able to do whatever it is my job entails? And I've cleared a pathway through our conversation for them to know that they can effectively go do their job and that I've got this under control now that I've got clarity after what we talked about, you know, whatever it was. I think that's like the key piece of managing up that I don't think we practice enough. I think you know like that it needs to happen. And that's where our clarity and alignment and congruence piece comes from. But I just don't think that we as professionals practice that enough. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, and I go back to
1: the word empathy because I think a lot of times like if we don't, especially if we don't have a great relationship with the boss and it's like, why are they doing Like, we never understand why they're doing what they're doing. You know, we as kids never understood why our teacher was always in such a bad mood, you know, when there were 30 reasons sitting in desk, <laughs> you know, as to why they were. In and then
0: mood. we became teachers and we understood why and they we were under, in a bad
1: mood. <laughs> yep. And we understand that. And you forget that like teachers have a life, like teachers yeah. have kids of their own and husbands and houses that have water leaks and, you know, storms hit and fence breaks and car trouble and, you know, divorce. I mean, there's like a life that happens and all of these things. And I think part of it is that it's real easy a lot of times to just look at somebody, especially somebody who you think is successful, or they have a lot of money or they, you know, they they're in a great position and they have a great title or whatever. And just think like, man, they, in order to get there, they had to have it all figured out. And so we just assume that like, it looks easy. You know, there's a lot of people that are really good at their jobs and they make what they do look easy when a lot of times they're struggling in a lot of ways or they're figuring it out on their own. They're just really good at kind of hiding what they don't know. And I think one of the best things that you can do from not just to like anticipate needs or like go in there and do something for your boss is simply just understanding that, hey, their job is hard and they likely have other things going on in their life that might be affecting their work. And they're probably just doing the best they possibly can. You don't understand that decision right now, but that decision might, you know, in a short term negatively affect you, but in the long term, it's best for our entire department. And that sucks right now. Again, I think like parent to kid, like I'm doing this to you now and you don't understand, but one day you will. And there are decisions like that being made all across every organization thousands of times all day long. And just understanding it like, yeah, we might not like it and we might not understand it, but maybe one day we will, but your boss has to make, they're the boss for a reason, right? They have to make certain decisions that are tough or have tough conversations and do something that you might not agree with, or you might not understand in that time. And I'm not saying that you should just be okay with it, especially if something like power-based violence or something nefarious is going on, but not being so quick to kind of maybe pull that trigger and understand like, Oh, okay. Like they probably know what they're doing. I don't really understand this, but then if I have a great relationship, I might be able to maybe not right now, but at some point go in there and ask, like, Hey, I didn't understand why this happened. And I want to believe that it was because you've got a hundred people under you that you've got to worry about, but I want to be in your seat one day help me walk through the process of why you did this. Mm -hmm. And then by me, by virtue of me being in both of those positions, I can then maybe in, maybe in some ways more effectively communicate that decision to the people who are under me now, Mm -hmm. or understand that if they're not happy that that that's probably what they're going through. Cause I do think that there is a big issue. And we talk about this a lot in education, like the principals and the superintendents that don't
0: remember what it's like to be in the classroom or they were in the classroom for like 3 years and then got on some administrative track and like never really got their feet fully cemented into the classroom experience.
1: Right. So now there's like a management down position, right? Because they don't remember what that's like, but at the same time if you're just a teacher and you've never been in that central office, then again, like life's going to look different. Things are going to going to hit different over there. And I think that's that's probably just the, you know, the overall sort of thesis of this particular episode is just having a little bit of that empathy, having a little bit of that grace, working on building the relationship, deepening it through the human component, recruiting everyone every day, and understanding that regardless of where you might be in your organizational chart, as you said earlier, we all have a role to play and all Mm -hmm. have responsibilities, not just to follow, but to lead as well and influence in any way that we can. And we might be managing up sideways or even down, but in order for us to be the most effective, congruent team possible, everybody sounds cliche and kind of coach speak here. So we'll sort of tell on ourselves a little bit, but everybody has to sort of star in their role Mm -hmm. and be able to do that. And I, I think that's what makes being a part of a great, synergistic, if that's a word, congruent team is to have everybody sort of pulling in that same direction. But if you're a boss, who's not allowing anybody below you to manage up, then it's going to be much more difficult to get there. And if you feel like we can just sort of browbeat people to death and batter ram them to death until they finally fall in line. Yeah. You might get what you want and have a little bit of short-term success, but the goal is not to be able to do something for a week or for a month. Like it's long term, right? That's what true congruence and success is going to do. And if you're not allowing sort of for that information, communication, influence, leadership flow in all directions, then we're likely never going to get there.
0: Yeah, we're, we're not going to get there. And then you're also, you know, we talk about head coaches who want to hire assistants and then like empower their assistants. What are they empowering them to do? And they're empowering them to manage up and to make a decision and come in and tell you about it. Yeah, And to have sort of a, a depth of a purview or a depth of responsibility that they can just come and report to you that this is what they did because they feel confident that there's trust that they can handle that stuff. Whereas I think a poor manager, and I've worked for several in the past, um, will tell you that they want to empower you and do all those things, and then that decision-making capability is still stripped from you. Or they don't agree with the decision they empowered you to make, and now you have to double back and do all that work again, Because that next connection was never really made. There wasn't the quality of that next connection because it was, you know, like you said, it was sort of almost disallowed based on the current mood or how we feel. But then we go and tell our athletes like, you know, it's not about how you feel. We have to, you've got to be everyday guys. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think there's a little bit of that coach speaking, a little bit of that misalignment of do as I say, not as I do. But in terms of managing up, I think that's probably one of the the biggest hurdles to being an effective managing up person or somebody who effectively manages up is like the person that you are managing up to needs to also be consistent in their approach of what they're doing. And so that leads me to sort of the next point about being, and this is probably, this is a shout out, I think, to John Cruz. Because this is his favorite type of person, being the I just wanna let you know person. And I know that we have had a number of hysterical conversations, knowing who the I just wanna let you know people are in places that we have worked and places that we have existed in. That in and of itself is a form of consistency, but that is a low character, not so positive habit to have. And I think that's where when we don't have the consistency of the quality of the interaction and we just become the, hey, I just want to let you know, or, hey, I just want to run that by you. Hey, I just want to like that becomes such a heavy weight for the other person to bear. It's only a matter of time before that person's like, yo, you need to stop. I can't anymore. Just do whatever you want. Mm. You wore me down by constantly having to let me know that you tied your shoes today, right? And there's a time and a place for, hey, I just want to let you know. Like for an example, you know, hey, we we had this conversation last week. And this is an example, not something that happened obviously like right now, but in a recruiting sense. So, hey, we just had a recruiting meeting last week where we talked about a specific kid. Hey, I just want to let you know I actually did make contact with that kid. And like, you know, here's what we talked about. That's an okay, I just want to let you know. Kyle, well, give me an example of a not okay, I just want to let you know. And I think I know what you're thinking of from, from one of your previous experiences. And most it, has of to the do with a, it has to do with a megaphone.
1: Most of the time... The, I just want to let you know person is somebody who is totally capable of handling the job themselves, but either they're a too lazy to do it, they don't want to do it. They might be capable of doing it, but they just want to come over here and they want you to do it for them. Mm -hmm. Or it's, it could be just sort of a kiss ass, suck up snitch type of moment. Like, Hey, I just want to let you know. I did a, I did a thing. Like you said, I tied my shoes today. Well, what'd you want a cookie? Like, just do it.
0: While and, you're at it, get me one too.
1: Yeah. Like, okay, great. We did it together. We'll split it. You know, go get a big one. And most of these, I just want to let you know types is like, yeah. Hey, I just want to let you know. I saw two kids over on the side of campus. They didn't need to be there. And it was like, all right. well, did you tell them to come back? No. Yeah. Why not? Well, you're the coach on duty. You're a freaking adult. How about right. that? You're a teacher. You tell them. Right. Like, why? Well, you you have a badge. Same as me.
0: You have a badge. Same as me, man.
1: Well, I just want to let you know, two of your football players are doing this. You're a teacher. You're you're like, I don't come to your math class and tell you that my kids can't block. Like, no, I don't. It's not just, I I just want to let you know that my kid missed a free throw. And I'd really like you to take time out of your English class for us to fix it. Right. That's never going to happen. So these, I just want to let you know types. That's not managing up. That mm-hmm. is I'm either just trying I'm looking for attention, I'm seeking something from you, which that brings into another issue and and sort of breakdown into the the relationship um that's there altogether. Um, but yeah, I think like a lot of times your your hey, I just want to let you know types. that's the type I'm telling on myself. Because you're trying to act like, hey, I want to let you know I'm noticing these things and pay attention to me. What I really would love for you to do is notice it and take care of it mm-hmm. and reduce some of that decision fatigue and things on me. And now you're effectively managing up our relationship. And yeah. then when, again, because it becomes the the white noise or the the you know crying wolf, like the tenth time of, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm like, okay, it doesn't really mean anything that's not anything big but then if you're typically taking care of your stuff and then it becomes hey i just want to let you know the kid and their mom missed their flight and we have a visit tomorrow like okay Mm -hmm. now i need to know that you know we got to start pivoting and doing something else that's a little bit more on the the important scale i go what is that um how I met your mother episode where they're talking about like, this is a 10, you know, this is a five. Like don't we, when Marshall and Lily had kids. Oh, when they, when they 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 first
0: have little baby Marvin. Yeah. And
1: it's like, Hey, I'm needed to be an eight or higher,
0: eight or higher, Ted eight or
1: higher. Exactly. Like that's a three. And then eventually, you know, it becomes like, well, everything you're, you're so important to us. Everything's an eight or higher, but it's, but that's understanding, like even sort of in that show and that, the the dynamic of that office had changed there's a kid now like Mm -hmm. and that does change things like you can't come over at two o'clock in the morning you can't just call me whenever like i've got other things i need to handle and so that's part of the the dynamic fluid situation of most people's departments teams organizations whatever that is why like this can't just be a one day thing Mm -hmm. i mean it's this is your everyday guy type of thing here we have to continuously go through The human component will. We have to continuously recruit everyone every day. We have to constantly go through the RACA process because just because things are good right now or what we're doing right now might suffice, those variables might be completely different a year, six months to maybe even a week from now because that's the climate Mm. that's constantly changing and climate is typically pretty turbulent.
0: So, I always go to like the coach speak part about hiring assistants and like truth be told, I'm hiring an assistant right now, right? We're just now starting the process of trying to figure out who can be my assistant coach, where I, where can I find them? And, you know, we're going to post it and all of that stuff. And, you know, we always think about when head coaches are hiring an assistant coach. And I think we, we talked about this and I think it was like episode two, right? Rethinking hiring assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. Of finding someone who is solution oriented and who's going to bring the decision or bring the solution that they made instead of the problem. That's exactly what we're talking about right now, right? Instead of being the I just want to let you know that this happened, it's this is what I did about it. Now, if I did something about it and you don't agree with it, I'd rather have that conversation than 10 times of, hey, well, I just want to let you know that, you know, Emma was. She skipped steps today on the way to class, you know, or like she left class five minutes early because she was on the phone. All right. Well, what'd you do about it? Is there something that needs to be done about it? Why don't Mm -hmm. you go talk to her about it? You know what I mean? Like you, you have so many opportunities when you're managing up. I think this is probably where assistant coaches get frustrated too. And, you know, having been one, I feel this frustration of man, I just like, I don't get to make any decisions, but you really, you do, right? You get to decide how you talk to the players. You get to decide how you interact with people. You get to decide a lot of those things. And all of that is part of managing up because your job is to make the head coach or the person you are managing up to, your job is to make their job easier, right? So if you can enter every conversation with them or with something that affects them with a resolution in mind. And it's not that that's like, we have to convince people to get to that resolution, but it's thinking through, Hey, if I take this course of action, what's the potential resolution we could come to? Is that something that is palatable for me? And is that going to be palatable for the person that I report to that I'm going to have to report this decision or they're going to see the effect of this decision at some point. And so if you can enter those interactions with a resolution in mind, you actually are probably better off asking for forgiveness at that point, rather than constantly saying like, oh, I just didn't know what to do about it. I just didn't know what to do about it. Well, why are you here then? Right. And you talked about decision fatigue. That puts so much more on that person's plate that you are managing up to that now you have become somebody they have to micromanage because you are putting yourself in a position to have to be micromanaged. And that's where I think some of that friction comes from, where, you know, especially we saw it in teaching all the time, where teachers were like, oh, I'm being micromanaged. I don't feel like I'm, you know, whatever. And it's like, because your name keeps coming across that principal's desk whether by you or somebody else. If you just stay away from all of that, they're going to leave you alone. And that's the best thing when we were teachers was just to be what? It was to be left alone. Mm -hmm. And then we could walk over to the principal's office and we could have that little flyby conversation because they're like, yo, I don't have to worry about that person. They do things the right way and they make my job easier because when I have that flat tire, at least I don't have to worry about Cavs class. I don't have to worry about Rostogi's class. They got it. You know what? We can take that kid that's a problem in this class, and we can put him in 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 you know Kyle or Seams class, and they're going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like that too is managing up. Just like doing your job really well is a form of managing up. Because the less your manager has to worry about your output and has to work out, you know, like worry about how you're treating people and how you know you are affecting the vibe we talked about the vibe you are effectively managing up by not having to even have an interaction and so that's really like the crux of less is more right if i can just do what i do really well we can have less of those impactful like meaningful interactions but More often than not, the impact and the meaning of many of those interactions might be negative, where it's I'm telling you how I need to do something to be done, or like I'm chastising you, or whatever. Um, You know, I think it is an exercise in just making the next connection. And it can be an indirect connection, it can be somebody saying, Hey, I saw a scene do something really, really awesome the other day. To your manager, and now your manager is like, "Hey, we we made the right move putting this person in that position," and now you don't have to go and tell them, "Hey, this is what I did," or "Hey, I have this question," or "Hey, I just want to let you know," because they already know what's going on, right? I think that piece is huge. Um, And the last thing I'll say, and I think this is something that I kind of want to leave the audience with, but I also want your opinion on this because I think. The old school coach in me, and I used to do this as an assistant pretty much every day. I mean, I did it with my AD today as a head coach. Before you leave or like before, you know, the last thing that you say to that person that you're managing up to is, is there anything else I can do before I leave? Or is there anything else you need me to do? Or is there anything you need from me? Right? Some variation of that. Mm. I think we were all taught as young assistant coaches, like not to leave without asking that question. And i still hold true for me today, but like, is there a better question that we can ask? And I don't know if there's an answer that you can give here. This is kind of for everybody who's listening, but obviously feel free to chime in. Like, this is my last thought about this. Is there a better question we can ask that doesn't create more decision fatigue in the moment? for the person that we are supposed to be managing up. I don't know if I have a better
1: question off the top of my head, but the thought that I do have is by asking a question like that, what you're really doing is creating more angst Mm. and pressure on being able to answer that question. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times it's just, no, I'm done. Like I'm tired. So we leave it as I don't really care right now because we just finished what we were doing and it's like time to move on. Or I've got 19 other things on my to-do list and I don't have the time to sort of think about that right now. Um, so yeah, I would have to sit and and think about what, how would you close that? I guess is, is the way to phrase that. Um, yeah, I, mean, I just if, don't, if anybody I don't know. out there has something.
0: Yeah. That's wow. I think the challenge for the listeners is like, let us know what you think is a better question. You know? Cause I think like, if we're asking if there's anything else we can do, of course there's something else we can do, mm. but why is it up to our manager to tell us what it is on the spot?
1: Yeah. You is there just some
0: better way to do that? Anticipate needs better. Yeah. <laughs> You
1: know, and that might be a little too open-ended right there. Like, is there something else I can do for you? A lot of times it's going to like, nah, get out of here. And most of the time, I think too, we're asking that question, hoping that they're just like, nah, get out of here. Like 100%. We don't want 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 something to do. No, we don't want something else. So to your point, like how else can we get out of the room? (laughs) You know, we've done a good job. We've split our cookie. Um, and how do you, and I, but I do think sometimes it comes from, I do think that's coming from a good place mm-hmm. a lot of times. Cause it's like, Hey, we just accomplished this thing together. There's good vibes in the, in the room right now. Like I want to let you know that like, I'm into what we got going on. Um, but I'm also like over this and I'm tired and I'm ready to go. So I don't want you to give me anything, but it's my way of saying like, Hey, I enjoyed this. I hope we can do it again. And I think that's probably where that comes from a lot of times. Um, but, yeah, I would be interested if somebody out there has something, um, you know, an idea, a thought, or maybe you've gone through something similarly, or you have a different view on that question. Like maybe you're looking at that from a completely different view. Um, and, yeah, for sure, listener.